0: You are listening to a Spoken Word Ministries podcast. Our heart is to proclaim the gospel and equip believers for ministry. If you're interested in learning more about our ministry, go to www.swma.ca. You can also find us on Facebook. Now sit back and enjoy this message. these people. Mm-hmm. Jesus, we 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 invite you. Come Lord, Holy Spirit. This has to be about you. So we give you this time. May you show up in your word and may you touch our hearts. May you lay us May you show us what we need to know. In your name we pray. Amen. Jesus' basic call. It was a message that he spoke when he came out of the wilderness. He had just been tempted 40 days (coughs) by the devil. He'd been under intense assault attack to a magnitude that we don't understand. In that time, he trusted his heavenly father. Jesus was, in fact, repentant. Every moment of the assault that he was under, he turned to his heavenly father, and he trusted. Having finally told the devil leave me now. The devil did leave. And it says the devil left until an opportune time. And that is a reality for so many of us. We have these moments where God breaks through into our lives and the enemy, the devil, and there is a devil out there, he leads his attack on our life to an opportune time. Jesus came out of that attack, and he preached this one message: repent and believe in the gospel. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mark one fifteen. And so, I think about my own journey into ministry. I was uh, I was a depressed, dope-smoking eighteen-year-old uh, who knew Jesus. But my concept of Jesus was I had repented once back when I was about six or seven years old. I would now have to wait until I died to enjoy heaven. That was my understanding. got out of high school and we were heading into an interesting year of uh, of whatever was to come. And I ran into a friend of mine who had been touched by God and quite radically changed. I got hungry. I got interested. And, And in that time of watching what God was doing in his life and ignited a hunger in my own life. Um, I had repented as a six-year-old. I had said, dear Jesus, I give you my sins. I accept your, your forgiveness. I receive you into my life as my Savior. And I would walked in my own strength for a bucket load of years. Struggling my way through school and high school and all that kind of stuff. At this time, when I was 18 years old, through this friend of mine, God brought me to another point of repentance. I didn't know that you could do repentance twice. Uh, well, that maybe that's not totally true. I probably got saved a half a dozen times at Bible camp, right? <laughs> um, so, but I I I was really brought to this place of I just need more. And and so as they talked to me, they talked to me about the Holy Spirit, about being baptized in the Holy Spirit, about being soaked in the Holy Spirit, inundated in the Holy Spirit, immersed in the Holy Spirit. However you call it, now word baptism is like. The image of a sponge going underwater, and soaking up the presence of God. And so um, that ignited a hunger in me. And I found myself repenting one more time. Much like the disciples in the upper room in Acts chapter 2, where they were at the end of themselves, where all their ideals had collapsed, their own abilities to live for Christ had fallen away. Peter had cursed Jesus. And yet at the end, the words of John 6 come through where where Peter spoke and he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of of eternal life. And they were brought back to that place of helplessness. Who, to who shall we go? Well, anyway, in that upper room, in that place of repentance, because that's what it was, Where they're in a place where they're at the end of their own strength and they they were yearning for the heart of God. Something that they did not understand was poured out on them and transformed them. And ripped through their lives and changed them in a way that they could not do on their own. Anyway, they walked out into the world, and then they begin to drift a little bit. And so we story, see stories of how somebody struggled and repented again. And I think about my own walk as I was prayed for by my friends. Like the Holy Spirit came over me, and I had this amazing experience of the power of God flowing through my life. And then I got into the ministry. And in the ministry, you want to do stuff for God. In the ministry, you want to live for Christ. In the ministry, you want to change lives. You want to, so many things you want to do in the ministry. But guess what? There's people involved in the ministry. (laughs) And I found that you can't fix people. But we as pastors, oftentimes that's what we, we get caught up in this. We're trying to impact the world for the kingdom of God. And we drift back into our own strength. And that drift happened to me. As I drifted back in my own strength, I began to, the stress began to build up, and things that tore at me within began to come back. And it drove me into a burnout, emotional breakdown would be the old term. My kids were all young, and I was at the end of myself, and I thought I was done with the ministry. I remember sitting on my couch one day, and weeping, God, I'm at the end of myself, and yet, at the core of who I am, I just want to serve you, and I can't do it anymore, and yet I can't get away from you either. Jesus never left his disciples to follow him in their own strength. Jesus said, I will be with you. Jesus pursues us by the power of His Spirit, the presence of His Spirit. But Jesus knows this drift in us and He knows this stubbornness in us and He knows our tendency to do life on our own strength. And so He brings us to the end of our strength. Because at the end of our strength is the only place where true repentance happens. Jesus took me and my on fire. I don't know if God's going to <laughs> <laughs> Jesus took me to the end of my strength. And in that burnout time, I remember being taken to uh, well, my wife took me for prayer ministry to this guy that we heard about. I walked in, he looks at me, he says, First thing out of his mouth, Whoa, you stink with pride. He says, Really? So, yeah, you're overdoing your ministry in that city across the river. your only thing you're concerned about is building your own kingdom. That was the only statement. I looked at him, going, like, "You know what? You're right." He says, "Oh, you're ready for freedom." What does he mean? James four six and seven says, "God resists the proud man, the man who would do things for himself in his own way, at his own time." By his own strength. God resists the proud woman. You know what repentance is all about, my friends? When the devil came into the garden with Adam and Eve, he said, bite this, you can be like God. What he meant was, bite this, you can be your own God. You can run your own life by your own strength, in your own way, for your own purposes. And even if you're religious, you can do that, and you can look really good, but the fruit of it is bad. Because it destroys God comes and he calls us to repent. Well, anyway, uh, this friend of mine, he began to help me unpack what repent means. So what I wanna do right now is I wanna unpack for you what it means to repent. Because you know what this city would look like if it was filled with repentant people? Forget that noise. You know what the churches in this city would look like if they were filled with people that truly walked in repentance? I will say this. The power of God would be flowing through this, through us out into the community. Our challenge so often is we walk our lives for Christ in our own strength. And it, and it tears us apart because we don't understand, we believe, but we cannot live the life. I've met so many people so broken in the church who believe, but just can't do it. And it's true you yeah. can Paul says that you cannot do the things of the Spirit by the power of your own strength. So Jesus has a message for us in this repentance and believe. Repent and believe, core message of Jesus, everything always comes back to this. It is not a one-time event. Yes, it does get your name written in the book of life when you initially encounter it. But it is an ongoing event. It is an ongoing process. It is an ongoing lifestyle. And I didn't understand that. And as I begin to understand that, as God begins to draw me back into a ministry that I actually cursed and walked away from, God says, you might be done with me, I'm not done with you. And he began to lead me back into this ministry. And he's led me into places where I could not do it on my own. He says, you're in my hands. You must trust me. And I had to let something go. And on a regular basis, I have to let something go. And that something is my way. Repent and believe means this. If I was to have a, a whiteboard and I'm a low-tech whiteboard guy, that, you know, the Youth for Christ guys called me the, the low-tech whiteboard guy because I don't use laptops and I don't have PowerPoints and stuff. But I want you to picture this. Repent and believe. Repent and believe has two components and it, it does not just mean stop it. It means two things. When you repent, the first thing that you do is confess. Every good uh, alcoholic needs to finally come to a point where he says, you know what, this is my addiction. You you need to get honest. A lot of us struggle to get honest. This is my sin. This is what it is. This is it. Say it out loud. Confession does not make you free, however, because confession is only part of the picture. I've ran into lots of guys. I think about a buddy of mine who was an alcoholic, and, and he got to the point where he would freely confess. He says, this is my booze. I love it, and I've traded everything for it. And I, I looked to him when uh, we were talking one day, and he wanted to get free from it. And, and, and I said, are you ready to repent? Which means you go beyond the confession. It's one thing to confess. It's another thing to be willing to be done with it. Are you willing to be done with the benefit of your sin? So when you think about that word repentance, underneath it you think confess, get honest, and the second component is to renounce the benefit of the sin. I never heard about the benefit of the sin. You You know what? Sin is always fun. There's always a benefit to the sin. And so whatever your sin is, there is something that you get from that sin that you have to be willing to live without. I run into two kinds of people. When I talk repentance and belief, there are those people who are the pain, what I call the pain reduction people. In other words, their sin, whatever their particular thing is, has caused so much pain in their life, they want the pain to go away. Whoever, who here has ever had those frustrating prayers, Dear Jesus, please take the pain away, and it doesn't go away. The reason it doesn't go away is because you're not willing to be done with the behavior that causes the pain. You cannot reduce pain unless you deal with the cause of the pain. So when we talk the concept of repentance, this is how I explained to my alcoholic friend. You gotta you got get real. The confession element has to be there. Once the confession element is there, you have to decide, what do I get for my booze? Well, my buddy, he looks at the booze and he goes, looks at his wife and he says, this is my escape from her. I got to come home every, every day. She nags all the time. Isn't that biblical, a nagging wife? Something? Anyway, he made that quote too, right? And he says, this gets me away from her. I said, are you willing to give up your escape, which is your benefit from your booze? Now, there's consequences to that. The consequence, if I give that up, means I now have to get to know my wife and build a relationship again. He looks at the booze and he looks at the wife and he says, absolutely not, I'm keeping a booze. We do that so often. The devil is not stupid, the devil always comes. When he brings temptation, he always comes with a benefit attached to that temptation. Any addict knows that. Why do I keep going back to my crack? I go back to my crack because it makes me feel good a short time, even though it destroys me long-term. What about a porn? As someone who's knows pornography, I go back to my porn because it's easy. I go back to my porn because I don't have to build relationships with porn. It's right there for me all the time. I go back to my porn because, and you can make your list. Are you willing to be done with that? Only somebody who suffered enough pain Will be willing to be done with the benefit because there's always that trade But when you get to the point where your sin has caused you enough pain, you are ready for freedom. See, the repent side of this equation doesn't set you free, but it does make you ready for freedom. One of my buddies uh, he said to me, He said, You gotta be willing to be free. And I thought, Willing to be free? Everybody's willing to be free, not so, because we like the benefit of our sin. I had a guy come to me after a church one time, and he, he was a porn addict, and he said, I asked him all the questions, he, he wanted to talk to me about the coffee, the coffee station, I asked him all the questions about your, you know, uh, how long you have been doing it, and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and I said, so where do you do this? And he says, oh, I do it all in my head. He says, the cool thing about my porn addiction is he says I carry it all in my head. I have a highly sexualized past. He says I keep all my pictures in my head and I can scroll them in my mind whenever I want. And he said, the cool thing is my wife can never catch me. I said, what are, what's it done for your relationship? He said, it's destroyed my relationship in my wife I said, are you willing to try something? So I basically led him through a repentance process. I said, this is the deal. Instead of you fighting the porn in your head, what we're, I'm gonna ask you to do is pray a simple prayer. It's based on John 1, 5. Where Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and that light shines in the darkness. The darkness does not overcome it. I want you to invite Jesus into the darkness of your day. What do you mean? I want you, the next time you pull up that pornography in your mind, I want you to invite Jesus into those images. Are you kidding me? He says, those are perverted images. I can't bring Jesus there. Folks, we've been taught oftentimes that we are supposed to give Jesus our best. Jesus bluntly said, I didn't come for your best. He said, I came for your, your sickness. I didn't come for the healthy. I came for those who were unhealthy. Now the reality is, all of us have spiritual sickness. But not everybody is willing to admit it. Jesus came to those of us who are ready for help. And he offers that help. And he is not shocked by what he finds within us. So I said, when you go home, I want you to pray this prayer. Invite Jesus into it. Well, he comes back two weeks later. Comes up to me in church. He says, you want to know what just happened? I tried that thing you told me to do. I said, Of course I want to do it. So we stood by the coffee time, or the coffee stand out back. And we, I listened to his story. And he said, I have a a video that I play in my head as me and a partner doing highly perverted thinking. And he said, I pulled that up. I wanted to use that video again. Um, I remember what you said, so I thought, I'm going to stop and try this. So in the middle of scrolling the pornographic video in his head, he said, dear Jesus, I invite you into this video. I invite you into the images of my mind. And he said, as I had my eyes closed, and I was scrolling the video in my head, he said, suddenly the side door in the room that we were in busted open, and Jesus walked into the room. And he said, the partner that I was with jumped up and screamed, is that Jesus? I ran out of the room. And he said, in my mind, there I was, left standing naked in front of Jesus. And he says, no, I can't use that video anymore. <laughs> and then he said, a very, he said a very telling thing. He said, if I do this to all the videos that I have stored in my memory, will I lose them all? And I said, you may well. I'm not sure I'm ready for that, he says. You hear what I'm saying? My friends, why? Why is repentance so often unaffected for us? It's because we don't understand. We spend all the time trying to pray the pain away and trying to continue to do the same old, same old. Until you're ready to allow Jesus to take it away, unless you're ready to let go of the benefit that you get from that unhealthy behavior, it will not go away. Well, the other side of that equation, repent, confess, and renounce the benefit. The other side of that equation is to believe. Believe means what? Well, as a young evangelist, I remember running people through the sinner's prayer. And that's sort of what I did. The fastest I could get them to pray to get their life to Jesus, the better it was. Problem is, is after a while, I begin to notice something. is that it wasn't sticking. It didn't work. I'm going, God, why are all these people falling away? Will fall. You got to be careful here. <laughs> Why are all these people falling away? And, and I felt like God said to me, "Because you don't take the time to explain to them even who I am. They're cranking their ways through a formula. They don't know me." <coughs> so I thought, okay. So who is this God that we're going to trust? I have found that when people pray repentance prayers and they don't know Jesus, those prayers are not effective. Because you're depending on the prayer. Like a a friend of mine said one one time to me, he said, there are no magic prayers. I had a brother who was caught a collegiate. When he prayed, he could not speak English words. He made noises. And yet the Holy Spirit came into the room. And I I saw in him there was was no no formulas. He offered his heart to God in the cry of his mouth and God answered. I have stood beside deathbeds where people who could not speak prayed with me by nodding their heads and watched people get saved. I've watched the peace settle upon the fear of and then go to heaven. It's not about the magic prayer. So who is this Jesus? I had a call one time old gentleman he was on his deathbed <coughs> terrified i won't tell the whole story but he was terrified he was an old catholic that. and he uh the moment they told him that he was going to die they told him you have two months you're going to die of terminal brain can- brain cancer and and his son phoned me up and put him on facetime so i'm staring at this old guy on the phone on his deathbed and he's terrified. His eyes are bugged out. And he's been doing his rosary beads and he's been doing all his rituals and the priest has been in none of it worked, And he knows his end is coming. And I'm thinking to myself, how do I, on FaceTime, talk to a guy down in the States and help deal with his fears as he lays on his deathbed? And then the Holy Spirit made something real to me. He said, he's Catholic. he's Catholic. He's been taught about Jesus. But like a lot of religious guys, and it ain't just Catholic, like a lot of religious guys, he never really was taught about repentance. So who is this Jesus that we will believe in? The Bible says that humanity was created for a relationship with God. Those of us who carry guilt, shame, sin, the effects of that in our lives, we are carrying something that we were not designed to carry and it has separated us from God and it has destroyed our relationship with God and has made us perpetually hungry for something that we do not have and God says to himself when that happened and let me just sort of encapsulate it this way a great pain came into the heart of God the day that Adam and Eve separated themselves and that separation went viral through the human race of Romans 5. He said, I will seek my children. Over. It says he poured himself into the skin of his son Jesus. Somebody says to me, you mean Jesus is God? Yeah, Jesus is God. One of his own disciples in, in John 14 said, show us the Father, Lord, and it will be enough. He says, have you been with me this long, and yet you do not know me? Have you seen me? You've seen the Father. Who is Jesus? We call him Emmanuel. He is God with the skin on him. He is the God of all creation and has come to be with us, the touchable, huggable, knowable God. It says in the appropriate time because he was had no sin on his own to pay for. It said he let himself be take, taken and executed on a cross. He died there, and in dying there, he paid for our sin. But it also says because he was innocent, he rose from the dead in demonstration of his victory over all forms of sin, death, and the death. It says he was lifted on high, and then from there he pours out his Holy Spirit to live in us and give us life as we believe in him. Does it make sense to you? Well, Mr. Burns is staring at me over this phone, looking at him on my phone, and I felt like the Holy Spirit said he has been taught about who Jesus is. But see, under that belief side, remember that repent and believe. Repent means to confess and renounce the benefit. It makes you ready for belief. Belief means to understand who you're going to believe in and trust Him. And so many of us, we have stopped at that place. of We understand who Jesus is, but we don't know how to trust Him. And when you understand who Jesus is, but you don't trust Him, Jesus is irrelevant in your life. And you are in your own strength to cope with your life as best as you can. So, Mr. Burns, I said, only one thing matters. Do you believe Jesus died to forgive your sins and rose from the dead and give you eternal life? Yeah. Mr. Burns looks at me, yeah? <laughs> you believe that? Yeah? Well, you're going to heaven with me. Pray with me. John 1, 12 says you believe and you receive. It's like any relationship, right? First time I met my wife, I actually didn't, I, I, I knew about her. I had information, my friends told me she was nice. But there came a day when I had to actually approach her. Maybe she was bolder than me and approached me, I don't know. But I had to enter that relationship. I had to say yes. Mr. Burns, pray with me, dear Jesus, and we pray. He didn't know how to pray. I said, just agree with me. Dear Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. You died to forgive my sins, rose from the dead to death, give me eternal life. I say yes to you. You're my God. I belong to you. Finished that prayer and hung up, and my buddy phoned me back shortly after that. And he said, after you hung up the phone, he said, my dad burst into tears and he began to sob. I'm really concerned about that because I've been watching him with his fear of dying. And and I'm going, dad, what's wrong? He says, whatever that guy did, prayed with me, he said something good happened. He said, forgive him. Well, Mr. Burns was supposed to die that night. He wasn't too to bone tin cadaverous looking face like he was on the edge of death. My buddy went home that night, he was gonna come back and he fully expected his dad to be dead and he was gonna be cleaning out a room. Walked in, and here's his dad sitting up in bed. The old boy bounced back. One of his drinking buddies is sitting across from him. They both have like, tears streaming down their face. And the old boy's going, Charlie, Jesus is forgiven me, Charlie. I'm forgiven. For two weeks, Mr. Burns did this to everybody that walked into his room. And when he died, my buddy is concerned about his theology, right? Dad hasn't been a believer long. He's leaning over his deathbed. Dad, are you sure you got going to see your theology right? <laughs> Buzz off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be with Jesus, right? Whatever. Depend <laughs> and believe. You know, I, I, I want to take you to a passage um, that I've been in. I'm I've been journeying for the last eight months in Isaiah 30. And so I want to close with this passage. Isaiah 30. um, It says this. Verse 15 following to 18. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. And he's talking to a stubborn group of people. He's talking to people that are doing their own life and their own strength for their own hands. And he says this, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. You said, no, we will flee on horses, therefore you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses, therefore your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you will all flee away. Till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, by a banner on a hill. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who, who wait for him. This is a passage on repentance. What God has been teaching me over the last eight months is he has been teaching me to repent. He's been teaching me that repentance is not just an event that I run into. Certainly it is an event, but it is also a process. It is a process that I am invited into on a regular basis. When I am struggling, when I am reacting, when I am in my own strength, God calls me to that place of repentance. And so every morning, basically, for the last eight months, or every day at some point, I have written out this verse. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. What does repentance really mean? Repentance really means, you know, Lord, I'm done with my strength and I'm turning back to yours. It's an admission. God, I can't do this on my own. And I'm ready to be done with my way. And I'm turning back to you. I'm inviting you into my my weakness. This has become my prayer. Every time I get angry. Every time I get depressed. Every time I get selfish, every time I see these things in me, I've been praying, Dear Jesus, that reaction right there, I repent and I invite you into the selfishness of me. And I've been experiencing God doing a transformative work in me. How do we live in peace? The next line says it. In quietness and trust is your strength. God will save you from your own strength, and he will give you his strength. We are called to live in that place. And it's not just a one-time event. It's a day-by-day event. Every time that we see ourselves going back to our old ways, Lord, I repent, and I invite you into the selfishness behind what I'm doing right now. Do your thing. Now, the interesting thing is, Isaiah speaks to some of our selfishness right here. He says, you know, we said, no, we're going to get away from our struggles on our own. We're going to deal with our struggles on our own. We will run from them. God says, yes, you will. We said, we will ride on swift horses. Yeah, well, we'll jack up the four by four and we'll go hard and we will get away from them. God says, no, they're chained to you. They're going to be just as fast as you are. You will never get away on your own. Weak. Who here is running from the struggle? God says it is chained to you. And you will not get away from it. On your own. What is the answer? He says in verse 18. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. If you persist in living your life in your strength. He said you will end up like a flagstaff on a hill. The other image in that old Hebrew passage is of a tree that has been stripped And denuded, and all that is left is the stick of the trunk up on the hill. ruined If you persist in your own strength. But he says, I long. I wait. Who here was a rebellious teenager? That would be me. And I remember my dad, age 16, saying, You need my help. And I said, I ain't ready for your help. I'm doing it my way. A little later I said, Okay. I'm ready for your help. And at that moment, my father, who wanted to help me for several years already, swooped in to help me. out. God is waiting to give help. But when we insist on doing it our own way for our own purposes and our own ends, we hold him out of our lives. We might have our name written in the book of life. That does not mean we are living by his spirit. He calls us to repent, turn back, How do you know that you're living by your own strength? Let's go to Galatians 5. I had a guy come to me here a little while ago with anger addiction issues. And in his anger, he was destroying everyone in his life. And his focus was always out there. His wife was wrong, his kids were wrong, his boss was wrong, the church pastor was wrong, everybody was wrong, and he was angry at everybody because he... He knew what needed to be done, and he actually was pretty bright, but nobody would agree with him. They were all wrong. And I took him to Galatians chapter 5. And so what I want to leave you with today is this. How do you tell when you need to repent? It's quite easy. How do you tell when you're walking with God? It's quite easy. Verse 19 in Galatians 5 says this. The acts of the sinful nature or the selfish nature, the flesh, depending on your translation, are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, <coughs> jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and fear. drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Now I don't know who here does orgies and all that kind of stuff. You know, maybe that's not the common one. But the jealousness, jealousness. The selfishness, the anger. So this is what I, I, I said to my friend. I said, this is the deal. This is your list. And it says, and the like thing. So these selfish manifestations, every time your anger flares, that is the signal you are in your own flesh. And if you carry that through, you're going to do damage. I want you to stop and repent. He says, what does that look like? You invite Jesus in. Hear Jesus. I repent of this anger. And I invite you into the selfishness behind it. Do what you will do. This guy has been praying this prayer for a few months now. His wife is going, You are changing. <laughs> Not because he's trying to change himself, but because the Holy Spirit is being brought to bear in his life to set him free. This is what repentance does it turns us to the strength of God. It allows God's strength to be ours instead of us living life on our own strength. It sets us free. It brings rest and strength to us that we cannot generate on our own. And it allows God to live through us to the people around us. Will we insist on doing life our own way? Or will we say yes to Jesus? Lord, I repent. I see the selfishness. The promise of God through Paul in Galatians 5 is that as we increasingly live in surrender to his spirit, our lives will be characterized by joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. What is the call of God in your life? So here's me scrambling to get this teaching in. Uh, I am probably chewing too, too much in here, but anyway. But what I what my heart is for you today. I want to leave you with a message of a God who loves you. I want to leave you with a message of a God who longs to have compassion on you and who longs to pour into your life his blessing. I want to leave you with a message that the only way possible for that to happen is through repentance, through surrender, as you yield to him. You do not have to perform. You do not have to fix yourself. In the deepest darkness, that is where His light is the brightest. Invite Him. Pray with me. Dear Jesus, Lord God, we come to you. You are the healer, you are the Savior. And you pour out upon us the Holy Spirit, who is our strength, who is our guide who has promised to lead us into all truth, who says that where I am, there is freedom. Jesus, teach us. Teach us that repentance, that we don't perform for you, we surrender to you. That in the places where we are beset by the enemy, we get to invite you in and let you carry us through. Jesus, we love you. But what's more, you loved us. And you loved us first. And you sought us out because of that love. For those here, Lord, who struggle to love themselves because they don't perform well enough, we say to you that you are free now for of performing. For you to yield to the Savior who lives through you. Jesus, pour out your Spirit upon such of us. We say yes to you. Amen. Amen. Bless you and thank you for listening.